If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 6. This is God's word. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil only continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And the Lord and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms thou shalt make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion of which thou shalt make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window thou shalt make in the ark, and a cubit thou shalt finish it above. And the door of it you shall set in the side thereof with a second Lower, second, and third stories thou shalt make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein the breath of life up from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into thy ark, thou, thy sons, thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And every living thing of all flesh Two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of, of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And thou shalt take unto thee all the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather to, he, to thee, and it shall be food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Let's pray. God in heaven, we look into your word today, eternal in the heavens, established and firm, set forever. And we know that you have for us a message of hope and, and of grace, that the gospel is here, that judgment is here, that uh, we must come to you appropriately, that you are God and not man. But my goodness, we are astonished at what you have done through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, that you would make us fit for your kingdom, that you would, would pour good things into our mouths for all of our lives and allow us to be used, used in your kingdom. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would enliven our hearts and um, keep me from speaking anything but your beautiful gospel. And I thank you that, uh, that you have great things for your church and we ask that we would have a taste of them today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was at New Life, 
um, I spent every Thursday, I had an English class that we had to do readings from all throughout the centuries. And I had something every day for them. And every Thursday, I had something from theology. And I went from the very, very earliest, and I, I just kept going, and we took an excerpt that we read, uh, and we talked about it. Well, one of them that I remember reading with them is, was from the 11th century, and um, the, the name of the book was Why God Became a Man. And it was beautiful, beautiful uh, writing, and it wasn't very long. But the, one of the key sentences that stuck out to me was something that I've never forgotten. And it was very strong. It said, you have not yet considered how serious sin is. When you think about why God would have to become a man to be our savior, it always goes back to the idea of how serious sin is. If sin is not serious, then why would it require something as serious as God to become a man to die for us? If sin is not a big deal, and most people do not think sin is a big deal at all, uh, there, there's, no, there's no big deal. And even, even as Christians, we simply think of it as being human, it's something to do, it's our failures or whatever. The idea that it's an affront or uh, that you are in, um, on purpose actually piling up wrath against the day of wrath towards a holy God, that you are insulting him and grieving him and sinning against him doesn't really occur to people because it's too heavy. When, when you give me something too heavy, I get sleepy. That's how I deal with stress. I don't know how you deal with stress. I just go to sleep. I can, I, you give me something, you give me a, a, a test tomorrow and I didn't read the chapter and I don't know anything, I promise you I will not spend the all-nighter. I'll go to sleep at 7 o'clock because I'll be so groggy that I can't even stand up because that's how I deal with it. And I think many of us do. When something is so serious as the sinning against a holy God, we downplay it. If sin is not serious, then it wouldn't have required Jesus to die. And since he did come to die, it tells us it's serious and that there is something that will happen as a result. You only have to go back to the sixth chapter of Genesis to see that God, just a few generations after he created man, has basically assessed that every single man was nothing but evil all the time. That, that you just continue to get worse and continue to expand your rights and your, uh, your liberty until you are so far from God that all you're doing continuously is sinning. And it's everywhere. And then you teach your children that. And then they grow up a whole generation without knowing God and then don't care and don't care. And then the entire society simply just goes to hell. And we see this, that God saw it as such a serious thing that it grieved him to a point that he completely annihilated the world. Now, we see that that would have been the end of the story and none of us would have remembered. We would have all been in judgment. But God gave grace. So the story of Noah and his ark is a, star, is a story of Jesus Christ. The story of Jesus Christ come to a fallen man that God would have to ruin, but instead has given grace to. So I, I had to go back to, in my mind, as I trace this back, I go to the fact that Adam had a son that was just like him. When Adam fell, when Adam sinned, 
it was so drastic that it changed who Adam was. It changed the relationship that Adam had to God. And then he had a son. So I pulled this from Genesis 5. Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness and after his own image and called his name Seth. He had a son in his own likeness and in his own image. So whatever Adam was, was transferred to Seth. Now Seth, we'll see, is a godly man. And he lives, Seth lives, this is uh, from verse 8 of that chapter, he lives 912 years and then he dies. Seth lived 912 years and he died and he loved the Lord. But he died. And you have to see that there is, well, the wages of sin is death. And in chapter 5 of Genesis, you cannot read it without recognizing that every two sentences for the whole chapter, the words end, and he died. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And it goes down the list, and it, it says how long he lives, when he was born, who was his father, how long he lived, and that he died. There's just something that's happened as a result of the fall of man that was so critical, so crucial, so important, and so completely lasting that every generation got worse and worse and worse. Worse and worse and worse. By the time we get to chapter 6, we see that everybody's touched. The entire society is touched. So I pulled this from 1 Corinthians 15. For in Adam all die. Now it goes on to say, but in Jesus Christ, all will be made alive. That's the chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is the Easter verse of all Easter verses because it's talking about the fact because of Christ, the death that we had in our, because we're human, the death that is owed us, the death that we will always go to, the bent that we have is remade in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ renews us, remakes us. But the carnal mind is an enmity against God. If I live as I was born, I will be God's enemy. There isn't any other way around it. I will be God's enemy. I'm not innocent. I'm not innocent and ignorant. It's, I'm not a sweetheart. I am a conscious, willful, deciding person who always will go against God's will because that's how my bent is. That's the likeness that we were born in. That's the Adam's likeness that every son of Adam had. So we rebel against God. We hide from God. We don't want God to be our king. It, something has to amazingly happen to us. Something unbelievable has to happen to us if you want God, because nobody wants God. But God is working in this world in grace. We saw that Noah found grace in God's eyes. And to, when God works in his, in his world in order to show us the Lord Jesus Christ, he can remake our hearts so that we have lo true love for God, not a false love for God, not a, not a, a name-only uh, faith, but a real faith. And we looked at Noah's faith last week. That's what we did. Now, by the time we get here to 6, it's as dark as it can be. This, the pitch black blackness. This is verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. All right? Do you see, do you see how outwardly sinful people are? If it said in the earth, it meant that people could see it, that it was obvious to everyone, that people were flagrant in their sinning. It wasn't just that they were trying to stay looking good. It was 
every generation gets more libertine and more free in their expression of their hatred towards God and their insistence that they are the boss. Every generation will. God has in the past renewed and revived. There have been revivals, real revivals, where wicked people have come to the Lord in droves and 150 years later you can come into a town and still see the effects of that godliness that happened a century before. That has happened, and it has happened throughout all of the things, and we beg, we pant that God would, re would renew us. We beg for it. Would you not revive us again? That's what the psalmist prayed, that we pray that too. God, would you please fall on this church, fall on this town, fall on my heart, that I might truly look at you and see who you are and love you. Because otherwise, then the carnal mind is at enmity with God, always. So they were outwardly sin sinful in the earth. But then it said that every imagination, this is still back in verse 5, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That means that it's more than just outward. This is inward too. That every person's inward thoughts and his heart and the inclinations of his heart the things that motivated him, the things he wanted to do, the things that he liked to do, were 100% continually evil. A strong word, as strong as it can be. It's not the word wicked. Wicked means not straight. Okay, you can have a wicked um, pine board from Lowe's, a lot of them. <laughs> Wickedness just means crooked like an oak branch. That's, that's wicked. Evil is antichrist. That's evil. That's what evil is. And every heart's inclination continually was always antichristal. Antichrist. That's, that's interesting because nobody wants to think we're bad. Nobody wants to think we're bad, but everyone wants their rights. It's interesting. You want it both ways. I want people to think I'm upstanding and good, so the only thing I can do is change everybody's definition of what good is. And it takes a lot to do that. We, to, we're moving a battleship right now. We're turning a battleship and rewriting all of the definitions so that we think good is bad and bad is good so that we can do it as we please but still look good in our eyes. We don't want to look bad. But God saw it. Now, this is verse 11 in chapter 6. If you just, We're going to hang out in chapter 6 if you want to just keep your Bible open. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Right? So when I looked up corrupt, there's two words. You can have corrupt like, like a, a corrupted file on a computer, so that something has been altered, and then that alteration got into the permanent. So whatever was altered from the original is now what you're making copies of. That's corrupted. You're not making copies of the original that was the intended. You have somehow altered something and then making, you're making copies of the alteration. That's what corrupt means. But when you think of it morally, it, it means to be morally depraved, where you have fallen from what, what God intends for us, and now you are different. You're, on a, you're in a different on a different level, you're in a different track than what God intended for us. You have dropped. There's been a drop. And both of them are true. 
We're making copies of something that's different from what God intended it up to us. So it's not just that, that things, the earth, whole earth was corrupt. You have to realize there will be a new heavens and a new earth. God is not just going to save people and give us this place. Everything in this earth has been touched by the fall, all of it, and ruined. It's not, it needs to be restored as well. The new heavens and the new earth are new earth and new heavens because this place that we see has to go because it was, it's been marred. It's the, we have puppies and we clean up after puppies 24 hours a day. The whole earth is just like full of puppies and that's what's happened. It's, it has to be completely redone and, the, and God will do that because the whole earth has been corrupted and it was filled with violence. You remember that back in chapter 1, God said, all things were very good. All things were good, all things were good. And then he gets to humans, and he said, this is very good. I think that's interesting. And now in chapter 6, just five chapters later, everything is back to where it's now corrupted and not very good. It's, it's only evil all the time. He also says in verse 12 that it was corrupt because all flesh had corrupted his way that the way that God intended for us to live had been changed. So it's not just that we've messed our bed. That's not just the problem. It's not that my heart is, is, is bent. It isn't. It's, it's way different. The way that God intends for us to live has been changed, has been altered, has been morally depraved. So in a lot of ways, we're sinning against nature. We're sinning against the way we were made to be. The frustrations we feel as we live in our sin is that we know we are still in God's image. And so we know what we want, but we'll never have it. Because unless you have God, your heart is like a, a churning sea. It's always just churning all the time. It's never still. Because you want what you can't have. So you think, oh, I need this, or I need this, or I need this, or I need this. And people will go through ridiculously the same list of five or six things one person after another after another when nobody else before received uh, solace with those five things but none of them are God and we were meant to be worshipers of God that was what we were done that we would be that Eden would be extended the garden of Eden would be the entire earth as the sons of Adam were to, to generate and populate the earth we were to all be a worshiping priesthood that the entire earth would be a temple. That was God's plan, and it will happen one day. God will see to it. But if you corrupt your way to where everything now is different, if the, the inclinations of every man's heart all the time is continually evil, well, God will judge. I pulled this from Proverbs 30. This is a wacko of a, of a verse. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. And you remember... The adulterous woman in the Proverbs is me. I'm the adulterous woman. It's a, it's, it, adultery is that idea that I've, I've come away from my vows and I'm living myself free. I'm free to do it, but I lurk in the shadows at the same time because I'm, I'm not so bold. I lurk in the shadows. This is the adulterous woman. She eats, she wipes her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. That's me. That's you. I know it's you. Or it was you. I know it was me today. My family knows it was me today. 
that idea that you can somehow be something different than God would want you to be and things are all right. That is, that's the way of mankind. And mankind, man, God knew their hearts. And in this chapter, the way grace works is that he told his servant. There's grace here in this chapter. This chapter is about grace. He told his servant Noah. So I just keep, go, I go back to Anselm. You do not recognize how serious sin is. It's so serious that huge things will happen as a result. So you, when you think of God's being righteous, God is righteous meaning that he lines up with himself. God is righteous. He is exactly the same angles as he is. He never is different from himself. And God's purpose is to promote his own holiness. He promotes it. He doesn't just say, I'm holy, you're not, we'll all live in, uh, together. He is promoting his holiness continuously and he has commanded that his creatures be like him. And he has every right to judge. His righteousness allows him to judge. In fact, it commands him to judge. He wouldn't be God if he did not judge sin. And so I then look at the next verse. This is chapter 6 again, verse 6. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth. And it grieved him out of his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing, fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I made them. Now, if that is the sentence, I wrote in my notes, the wonder of the ages is that there are verses between 6.6 and 7.22. Let me show you 7.22. All right, the next chapter. This is 7.22. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life, all that was on the dry land died. And I think you could go from one verse to the next perfectly that God said, I'm going to destroy them, and the next verse should have been, and everything died as a result. God said, I look at this, I know what right and wrong is, I know that these have corrupted, I know that this is ruined, it needs to be judged, and he wipes them out. Grace is that there's a whole chunk of verses between those two verses. Grace is that the next verse is verse 8. And that verse 8 makes me weep. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the next verse. The previous verse is, I will destroy all living things from off the earth. But Noah found grace in God's sight. Now, we see that Noah is not righteous. It says in the next verse, Noah was righteous. Okay, when you get to 9, Noah is a righteous and perfect in his generation. But he's righteous the same way that the righteous run into the name of the Lord as a strong tower. If I were righteous as God, then I don't need protection because I've already got my own protection. I'm protecting myself. But the righteous is people who know that they need to run into the Lord's tower to be safe. And we're going to see that Noah does this very thing. Noah is righteous in the way that he trusts God. He trusts God when no one else is trusting God. But he's still a sinner. Noah is not a not sinner. Because then Noah would have been our savior. The way I know that Noah can't be my savior is because the very first thing after the flood is showing Noah's sin. The very first thing. The very first thing is the plants of vineyard gets drunk and lays naked in his tent. That's the first thing we hear about Noah. 
Noah the righteous man, Noah who just was a preacher of righteousness and, and did an act of faith that saved his house. But yet he's a sinner. He's not my savior. He's a man. But God allowed him, that sinner, to find grace in his eyes and he saved the world through him. And we saw last week that the world was condemned by Noah's faith. Noah simply trusted what God said was true. And God told Noah of the unrighteousness of the world around them. And Noah started preaching. Noah started preaching. This is verse 13. This is what Noah is told. The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Do you see, verse 7 was God saying, I'm going to do it. Verse 13 is God's telling his servant. That is, he's telling his servant so that something can be done. He's telling his servant so that he can now show mercy and pity on the world. Verse 14, make an ark. Make an ark. I'm, I'm going to destroy all things. And now that was what Noah held on to. That was what he believed. He believed that God was serious when he said, I'm going to destroy all living things, therefore make an ark. So I wrote down eight things. I wrote down eight sentences. And we'll go through these nice and fast. Okay? First thing I wrote, the ark of salvation, the ark that saved Noah, was provided by grace through faith. Okay? Do you remember Ephesians 2? Most people memory verse. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourself is the gift of God. It's the grace of God through faith. Right? So when I say it's by grace, Noah didn't design the ark. Noah didn't do it. God did it. God knew what Noah needed. And that what Noah needed was to have something that would go through the judgment because Noah was going to go through the judgment like everybody else. But he needed to be safe in such a way that he was above the judgment because we can't breathe water. And if Noah is going to survive this, he had to be above that water. And there had been no boats. It had never rained before. Yet there were no boats. But Noah was told to build, and it was God's design. It was God's plan God planned it himself. That's why I say that it's by grace. The ark that saved Noah was planned by God, right? But it's through faith, right? Because Noah's built the ark. Noah did it. This was from uh, Hebrews 11 that we looked at last week. By faith, Noah, being warned of God as things not yet seen yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. So Noah built the ark. God planned the ark. God designed the ark. And Noah built the ark. Can you see that? It is by grace through faith. If he didn't express his faith by doing what God had commanded him, he would not have saved his house. It is through faith, but yet the faith is commendable. God can commend faith. That's what all of chapter 11 of Hebrews is, is commendations of faith. You by faith this, by faith this, by faith this. That's all chapter 11 of, of Hebrews. By faith, Noah being warned of God, built or prepared. Right? So, so it is through faith. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and labor, and I'll give you rest. 
Do you see? It's, it's the work of Jesus to give me rest. But it's, the, it's my responsibility to come unto Jesus. Do you see the through faith? It is grace by faith. It's, it's, it's by grace through faith. That Jesus would give me rest is grace because I know who I am. But I have to come to him, and that's by faith. There's, there is a participation that we share. We share that. So that was the first one I wrote. It's by grace through faith. Number two, Noah built the ark. Now that seems really obvious, but think about it. Noah built that ark. Noah did it. He built the ark. Okay? I, got, I waxed poetic and wrote down this. I am not nourished by the food another man eats. If you eat a steak, I get nothing about it. All I can watch you eat it. I can watch you enjoy it. I can sure that it was good, but I get nothing for it. My faith in Jesus has to be my faith in Jesus. I get no advantage. Remember, Jesus was even separating himself from Mary because it's not... He, Mary doesn't get saved because she's the mother of Jesus. She gets saved by grace through faith in what Christ did. All of that's true of me. I have to repent. I have to come to Jesus. I have to do it. It's my faith. He built the boat. Okay? The just shall live by faith. That's from Romans that we saw before. The just lives by faith. How do they live? They have faith in, in God, and that is that faith in God is their life. Number three I wrote, Building the ark and preaching to his neighbors marked his life. Because if I ask you what Noah did, you would say he built an ark. Noah built the ark. That's what he did. And it took 120 years. Now this is from verse 3, and this is, this is why I say that. I think this is good support. You Ask yourself, is this good support? Genesis 6.3 says, The Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. This is right at the very beginning of the, of the chapter when he's just introducing uh, Noah to, this, to what's going to happen. My spirit shall not always strive with a man, for that he is also his uh, flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Okay? That makes me think that from that minute, it was 120 years till the end. That he had 120 years. Man, I will not always strive with men, but his, his years will be 120 years. I'm going to do something in 120 years. Now he tells Noah to build a boat. And it's going to take him forever. And when you get to the book of Jude, Jude talks about Noah and says, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached all the time while he was building a ridiculous boat. So people, everybody knew, oh, that's Noah. He's building a boat. He's a, nit. He's a nut. And he was preaching to his neighbors for 120 years while he was building a boat. Do you see the lesson? You preach to your neighbors while you are exhibiting faith in Christ, not after something is done. You are not there yet. You are not godly yet. You are struggling in your Christianity. You're, you're heading your face towards God, taking feeble, bambi-kneed steps towards the Lord. And in that time that you are finding strength and continually walking and falling and God giving you grace to pull you up, at the same time you are preaching to your neighbors. And they're looking at your boat and they're scoffing at you. 
What a waste of time. He could ha- be having so much more. He could be, he, he's using his money. Why is he giving his money away? Why is he not enriching himself? So he, at the same time, it was his mark. It was marked his life. It marked his life. This is 2 Peter 2. I mentioned this last week. This is, he's talking about Noah, and it said, if God did not spare angels, remember, and he, he put them into fiery dungeons, and he didn't spare the old world. This is 2 Peter 2. But, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world. So he preached and he built. And that's what we do. Christian, that's what we do. You build, you build, you build with your own, you eat your own meat. You build on your own foundation. All things that can be built on is Jesus Christ. If you're building on Jesus Christ, you're building on a foundation that will last forever. If you're building on anything else, it will collapse. Your wood, your hay, your stubble will all collapse when it'll be found. And if you're building on Jesus Christ, it's something lasting and seriously true. Number four, I didn't have any comments. I'm just going to give you number four and then go into number five. Maybe I should have thought about it longer. People did not understand the purpose of the ark and didn't take Noah's warning seriously. Maybe that's just enough. They didn't understand it. They, why would you build a boat? There's not in any room water. We're in a dry plain. There's no water around. What's the boat for? How are you going to get the boat to the water? There's not a, you don't have a truck big enough to haul it. You don't have a trailer. What are you going to do? The concept that the water was going to come to the boat didn't ever dawn on them, and they didn't even know what it was. Like they didn't, had never seen it before. It was something new God was going to do, and they didn't understand it. And because they didn't understand it, they didn't understand that it had to do with them. People don't understand that they've offended a holy God and must be safe. They must be safe. They don't understand, and they, they mock your life. Your life of building means nothing to them. They simply pity you. They think that you're, you've been duped somehow. I wrote in number five, Noah entered into the ark before there were signs of the judgment. It wasn't in judgment when he entered. He entered in, of course, God told him to. This is verse, chapter 7, verse 7. Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his son's wife went in, into the ark because of the waters of the flood. But there were no waters. There wasn't any water anywhere. He went up that ramp, and he entered the door, and the animals came to him. He didn't herd a bunch of animals. Okay, he didn't say, okay, come on, chickens, come on, cats. He just went in the door, and the animals came to him on their own and walked up the ramp and came into the door, and Noah's, Noah was basically now getting people into the ark, coming in, coming in, what God was, was rescuing. He came into the ark because of the waters of the flood, but there were no waters of the flood. There was nothing there yet. Now, this is verse 10 of chapter 7. And it came to pass after seven days, Noah had been in the ark for seven full days, that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. The 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, 17th day of the month, the same day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. So he was in that boat long before there was water, long before it started raining. He went in by faith. 
because he has to know I need to be in a boat because God is going to destroy it by a flood. That's faith. There is no other way. You are in Christ because you believe Christ is your only hope. To be in Christ is to be safe. It's the name of a strong tower that you can run into and be safe. Number six. Did it help to say that there were eight and now I'm at number six? Does that help you some? Kind of tells you. Number six is what I wrote. Noah and his family entered in and God shut them in. This is verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 16. And they went in, all male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now, there is comfort, 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 comfort. There will be a day that when the Lord shuts the door, you couldn't get out if you wanted to. That's safety. That is safety. If you wanted to jump, you couldn't. There's no way out. God shut the door of that boat, and then it began raining. He shut the door, and how long would it have to rain for that boat to start wobbling? How many raindrops would have to hit this ground before this whole building would just creak off of its foundation and float into the water? How long would it rain? It would rain and rain and rain and rain and rain and rain. And can you imagine the party can you imagine the party outside that boat as people were like playing in the rain? I don't know if you've ever played in the mud. There's nothing better than sliding down a mud slick in the middle of a rainstorm. I've absolutely one of the funnest things I've ever done. And people just like watching it rain on them and just, just cheering and yelling and playing and everybody splashing each other and having a great time. And then it got scary. It got scary because... The water kind of came from everywhere and there's gullies and ruts and, and there's washouts and the houses are falling down and all of a sudden people can't find grandma and everybody's like, <gasps> and they're panicked. Now the panic happens. But Noah was in that boat. He entered into the boat. He entered in and God shut the door. And when he shut the door, two things happened at once. He protected those inside and he punished the ones on the outside. Now, don't go to a Christian church if you do not want to hear the gospel. The gospel is that the world will be punished on the outside and that God has an open door. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is that today is the day of salvation. That's the gospel. Do not think that the Christian gospel is that everyone is, that God loves everybody because he does love you and he will destroy you in your sins. Because if you are not safe, if you are not the righteous that are running into the name of the strong tower, you are not safe. Only the ones who run into it are safe. And he was in that boat seven days before it started raining with all those animals, everybody laughing, and everybody out in the front door watching in the inside. Okay? Laughing about it. And then playing in their sin, playing in their judgment, because the judgment was fun for a few minutes. And then... You wonder what was going to happen. The, once that door was shut, the day of mercy is over. The day of mercy is over. The Christian gospel is that this is the day of mercy, and that is good news. That's why it's called the gospel. But Isaiah 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
because there will be a day that the door is shut and it is shut. And the virgins are like, well, we didn't have any oil because, I don't know, we were all playing and we were talking and having a sleepover and they had no oil. And then the door was shut and they were like, open the door, Lord. We wanted to come to your wedding too. And, and the bridegroom said, I don't know even who you are. Go away from me. Number seven, the ark was the only place of safety during the judgment. It wasn't an escape from judgment. It was the only ark of safety. It was the only safe place during the judgment. So this is verse 17. We're in chapter 7 now because this is now, the water has happened. This, we're now in 7. And the floods were 40 days upon the earth. And the waters prevailed and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the earth. All right? I underlined that in my, in my notes. It was lifted up above the earth. That interesting, that, that ark of safety, that ark of safety was lifted up above the earth. The only other place that you see that is on the cross of Jesus Christ. It was lifted up. And it lifted, and the waters prevailed. This is verse 18. And were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. Ah, he was in the judgment, but, but survived it. Because the waters were over everybody else, and it, he was above them. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills that were under the heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail. Fifty feet above Mount Everest. The waters were 50 feet above the highest mountain in the world. Okay? And you have to know, too, there was probably not a Mount Everest then. The whole world was changing. The whole world was boiling. The, the, underneath that water, the whole world was being changed. All of the cataclysm, the, all of the, the, the layers. You, you drive along any road in West Virginia, you see one layer, one layer, one layer of rock upon another. That was all laid down. In a few minutes, one after another after another, as God was judging the whole world. And you're saying, what, West Virginia was judged? There's salt in Charleston. Where do you get salt? You get salt from ocean water. And there's seashells on every top of every mountain in this, in this county. And there's, there's prehistoric trees inside every coal mine in West Virginia. I have an entire cabinet of ancient trees, petrified trees, from Webster County coal mines. An entire cabinet full. And every one of them are extinct trees. And every one of them were tropical trees. Brazil. And we're talking about, that means we were, in, we were under the water in the ocean and everything was covered up. Where do you think coal comes from? Everything was instantly covered. The whole world was judged. The whole world was judged, and Noah was above the flood, above the highest mountain. And this is the last one, number eight. The flood was unexpected. Nobody knew it was coming. Matthew 24, this is one of the scary uh, parts of Jesus as he's talking to the Pharisees. This is in verse 37. But as the days of Noah were so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And he knew and knew not until, until the flood came and took them all away, 
so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. As you go on into verse 42, it says, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord doth come. So I think of the thrill of getting wet and everybody playing in the water and then all of a sudden everybody recognizing that they were in danger. And now what do you do? You beat on the side of the boat. You go over to that huge ship and you realize that's what the boat's for. The boat is for water that I've never seen before. My goodness, there's water everywhere and the water is now up to my neck. And you beat and you beat against the side of that locked door. The screaming and the wailing, you can't imagine how horrifying it would be. And the last thing I wrote down is Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like. This is Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the ark of safety, was the one locked out of safety. He was the one that perished in God's wrath. That wrath that covered the mountains 50 feet high above the highest of the hills. Jesus was in that wrath. He was boiling in that, in that awful judgment. He was the one that suffered. Jesus is the strong tower because Jesus is the one who was rejected so that you will be accepted. I just want to encourage us. If you know the Lord Jesus, enjoy the Lord Jesus. Enjoy your safety. Enjoy your salvation. Make it make everything to you. Make it mean everything to you. Let it mark your whole life. And if you do not know Jesus, if, you do not, if you're not safe, if you know in your dark times when God wakes us up at 4 o'clock in the morning, I don't know why, and you're re recognizing that God is speaking to you and you know you are not safe, you run to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ark. Jesus Christ bears it up in his own body on the tree and he will save us. Because we are sons of Adam. We are the ruin that God came to restore. Let's pray. God Almighty, we bow our head in your magnificent presence. And we thank you for our ark. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for that beautiful, beautiful man who died in our place, who was rejected in our place, who was, who was totally absorbed every drop of God's wrath. Because sin is serious and we have no idea what he suffered for us. We don't know what the wrath of God means. We don't know what the flood looks like. But Jesus knows. And Jesus died in our place and we want to trust him. I ask for the Holy Spirit that you would give us power to trust Jesus. And trust him to our salvation. Trust him to the building of the saving of our house. And we thank you that you are wonderful. Would you, make us, would you make us joyous in your presence? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.